Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bridget and Scott were about a month or so removed at this point from the Bruins being eliminated from Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, it's it's not going to get any easier as the summer goes along. But I do think it's at this point, the as, as summer approaches, we're going to start to flip the, the page to next season and Scott you tweeted earlier this week about just the specific dates for the Bruins and the draft and free agency and and rookie camps and all that good stuff but I do think that there's some a laundry list of potential questions from from listeners based off of last season and going forward that we're going to cover in this mailbag type of episode so Bridget and Scott how are you guys doing and looking forward to I guess the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs summer what's 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 new with you guys yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've transitioned into a little bit of a Celtics writer. I've been at their last two games. Uh, game Game five did not go well. Thought, you know, man, I might never see a win at the Garden again. And then game seven, obviously, was awesome to be at. Uh, Jason Tatum setting records. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to keep watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. Like, I, you know, I know for TV ratings, Carolina versus Florida and Dallas versus Vegas probably isn't great. But, you know, I'm interested no matter what. So I'll be watching. And obviously there's the there's the Bruce Cassidy storyline that still, uh, you know, provides a little bit of a Bruins angle, local link there, you know. Um, and, you know, I think you're interested to see how far the Panthers go. They're still rolling. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching, but it doesn't have. I can see, I can definitely see this final four not having a ton of appeal to kind of the masses. No, it's kind of crazy because it looked like it was really ramping up to be maybe one of the best playoffs that like we'd seen in recent history. Like there were a lot of good teams that were coming in with momentum, like the Oilers and 
um, you know, the Bruins, the Leafs, uh, teams that have kind of just been knocking at the door uh, and those teams are all out. So it's, it, you know, they, it, what a, what a turn of events to have an all Southern uh, final four going on right now. And yeah, not really one of the most, um, especially for our market in particular, not a lot of interest in like, or attention paid to any of those four teams in the, like the Northeast uh, markets here in New York. Uh, yeah, it's probably not ideal for their ratings and their money making, but, um, and even star power kind of lacking with those teams. If, if you really think about it, especially with uh, some guys hurt like Svechnikov and yeah, just not the most appealing, I guess you could say. Obviously, we're still going to watch. Um, and like Scott mentioned, the whole Bruce Casty thing, pretty interesting. Um, really, the only connection left with the Boston sports media market in the playoffs. But um, today, we, I mean, we're going to be recording two episodes today. So we have a mailbag because we're going to be doing that once a week. Um, now that the season's over, get your questions and comments. A lot of people have been leaving comments on our YouTube. So if that's the easiest way for you guys to do it, that's fine. You can also tweet at us or in Scott, what's the email? I always forget. Skatepod at WEI.com. Just Skatepod, right? Yes. Okay. No, no, the. No, the. I don't know how you could possibly, possibly forget that. It's so basic. <laughs> because I always think it's the Skatepod. <laughs> Yeah, that that would trip no. me up too. I'm but on Twitter at the skate pod. Yes. So there is Correct. a the on Twitter. Correct. So we're gonna get to some of the questions that we have had over our last couple of episodes left in our comments and, and questions that we've been asked. So um kind of gonna start chronologically here with end of the season stuff since that feels like we should wrap that up first. Um so the very first question was was it bad game planning for their opponent or not having an answer to the Panthers? Um, basically, the this was a YouTube comment that wanted to get to um, whether or not the coaching staff put in enough work to game plan for the Panthers um, ahead of the Bruins series. I think they did. I, I think the criticism would be that they were too a little too slow making adjustments. Like I, I think I think the game plan going in was solid. I mean. They went up three to one. They were winning games without Bergeron and Krejci. Um, they had a clear special teams advantage really for most of the series until maybe the last couple of games where it kind of evened out. So it seemed like they sort of had things fairly well buttoned up. But then, you know, I do think that they were uh, a little slow to, to simplify their breakouts. That was something that probably should have happened earlier when they're having some troubles with that with Florida's Ford check. Um, Montgomery really never made like a clear adjustment to, to dealing with the Ben and, and Kachuk and Kachuk line. Um, you know, they basically did shut down the Barkov line almost pretty much the entire series, but kind of never had an answer for Bennett and Kachuk. And um, I think that's a fair criticism is, you know, changing things quicker. And then I thought, you know, Florida's power play finally started to get some, some better looks as the series went on, which to an extent I think is, was a little bit inevitable because Florida's power play is too much talent to have gone over against, you know, any penalty kill for the whole series. 
But once they did start generating more, I thought the Bruins were a little slow to react um, in terms of adjusting their penalty kill and, and neutralizing some of the things that the Panthers were doing. So to me, it's not it's not that they didn't have a good game plan from the get-go. It's that the in-series adjustments as it went on were were insufficient. I would say it was less about, and I agree with a lot of what, what Scott said, I mean, everything, honestly, but I, I would say it was more about a lack of, it wasn't a lack of adjusting for the opponent. It was, it was the Bruins just didn't understand for whatever reason that their own, their own team in that series. And I think you saw it with Toronto too. There was just a lot of, there were some key additions for Boston. I know Toronto had like six players added at the deadline and Boston had, had three and then, but it was really more than that because then when Taylor Hall came back and Nick Felino, it was kind of like you're adding five guys. It was it was totally different, and I just feel like the Bruins just didn't know exactly what they wanted their team to look like from a personnel uh, standpoint with with different lines and whatnot. And I think that's honestly kind of what ended up biting them in the ass more than anything else. I, I do think that they were prepared for Florida. The, the adjustments weren't made, like Scott mentioned, but I, it wasn't because of a lack of pre-scouting. I don't think. I just think the Bruins just kind of didn't know what, what they wanted to be in that series from their personnel standpoint. Yeah. I, and I think the way that the, the comment was in the conversation that was being had in the comment section was kind of about the, the pressure, the amount of pressure that Florida was able to put on the Bruins and were they um, prepared for that? Did they have a game plan that could counter that kind of physical pressure that the Panthers put on? Yeah, and that's where I think like adjusting the breakout was a little too slow. Where, you know, I think the Bruins going in probably thought, "Hey, our, our defense and breakout game has held up really well against every forecheck all year. You know, we're not going to change anything to start, which is understandable." Um, but then, as they started to have some issues, as their breakouts weren't clean, I thought, you know, I mean, you watch Florida play and like. They're they're playing their own zone and their breakouts is like against the Bruins and against the Leafs. It's like the most simple hockey you can possibly play. It's a lot of just flipping pucks out, just getting into the neutral zone and then battling for it. And it's like it's it's ugly and like that's not really ideally how you want to play. You want to have more controlled exits with possession, but if you're under pressure and that's not happening cleanly, then I think you have to be willing to do what Florida has done, which is just, just get it out. Like just bank it off the glass, just flip it out into the neutral zone and, and try to go get it. And I thought the Bruins were really too hesitant. Like we're just too hesitant to do that. Like almost, I don't know if it's like a pride thing or it's like, no, like we break out with possession. That's what we do. That's what we're going to do. And I just think they stuck with it too long and had too many breakouts where, uh, they didn't break out with possession because they turned it over instead. So, um, you know, sometimes you have to simplify, even if, even if you think you should be able to do better and should be able to play, you know, your usual game, if it's not happening, you got to adjust. I thought they were too slow to do that. I mean, I also felt like they were too slow to do that last year too, with Carolina, but that was under Bruce Cassidy. So it's, it's part of it for me is it's, I don't, is is it part of just the DNA of some of these players as a group? I don't know because I because M- Montgomery and Cassidy have far different. I shouldn't say far different, but they, they're different, especially defensively. Bruce is more 
locked down and and the Bruins struggled against Carolina's forecheck. They struggled against the Islanders forecheck the year before. They've struggled against St. Louis's forecheck in 19. So the Bruins struggling against the forecheck and not being able to make those adjustments quick enough is this year. Yes, you can look at Jim Montgomery and say he, he's the man um, running the ship, but it happened in years past under under a defensive minded coach as well, more defensive minded coach than Montgomery. So what you what you were just talking about, Scott, I agree with, but I, it makes me question why is it happening under multiple different coaching res, uh, regimes with and and some with more of a defensive mind. Uh, so I, I just don't know. It might be is it the is it the personnel? Is it the players themselves? I don't know. I will switch to another question that um, I was just flipping through my notes too to like prepare for this one, but um, I think there might be an obvious an obvious answer, and then I want to try to give a less obvious obvious answer to this one, which is what specific play was the single biggest mistake by the Bruins or a Bruin in round one? So for me, the single biggest mistake was Allmark's turnover in overtime. Um, you know, kind of not, that might be what you're thinking with the obvious one. Um, but yeah, just, you know, like still hard to figure out what exactly was going on there. Like, obviously, obviously miscommunication, but for Allmark to put that puck where he did, like right into the closest Panther, it was just like, how, like, how, how do you make that play in that situation? So that you know, and obviously because it leads to such a big goal, like you, you have a chance to eliminate them in five games, make that turnover. You literally just give away a game to make it a three, two series. And then Florida never loses momentum after that, really. Um, so that stands out to me. Yeah. I believe that's probably the obvious answer for everybody. Scott, just the one who had to mention it. I would say aside from that one, I would, I would point to, Hampus Lindholm clearing the puck over the glass by about 20 feet after they had a 5-4 lead uh, in the third period of game six. And you have a chance to close out that series then. And he just, with no no pressure on him, just clears the puck over the glass. And then I think it was Matthew Kachuk ties the game 5-5. And then next thing you know, it's 6-5 and game over. So it's a more it's a more subtle mistake. I don't think it's one that jumps to anybody's mind necessarily. It didn't even jump to my mind. But when Scott was answering it, I, I had to – to start playing back the series in my mind. And while there were a lot of turnovers by the Bruins in that series and, and a handful of them resulted in Florida goals, a lot of those, the Bruins were able to come back and at least tie the game after that, or maybe, maybe even win the game. But that Lindholm one stands out to me because they weren't able to recover from that. Once they uh, gave away the lead, Florida won the game six to five. And now it's, now it's 3-3 three, three and you go back to Boston for seven. So I guess that one, aside from the Allmark one, that one jumps out in my mind. Yeah, and so the Allmark one is, I think, the most obvious because I, I feel like when it happened, it was like, oh, no, that, you know, that's obviously not only is that such a glaring, horrible mistake, it's embarrassing. Um, I feel like it also changed the – almost changed the momentum of the series. Cause if you really think about it, the Bruins had the momentum at that point, you're like, Oh no, well, they just had a chance to, to end the series um, in game five. They didn't do it. Um, does it mess with all Mark psyche? Does it mess with some of the ways they want to handle goaltending? Um, I think that it had like a ripple effect on the whole series, the way that that 
individual play, that bang, bang, one, two seconds um, of a lapse and a mistake was definitely, it, it definitely affected the series, um, not just in the fact that it was extended, but in just a lot of other ways as well. And even at the time, I I feel like I thought, oh, wow, that was a bad one, but there's still two games left for the Bruins to win. And those two games uh, proved to be, you know, just just as hard fought. And it wasn't it, it wasn't like you were going to skate past those. But when when your team is the best team in NHL history and you have a 3-1 series lead, you're thinking, all right, that was a really bad mistake, but still got two games to deal with this. And then that's just um, really was a huge turning point in the series was that one turnover. But to also bring um, a less obvious one, I would also go back to game five because any way they could have won game five was the critical game, really. Um, so I think back to the very first period of game five, um, when Bertuzzi made that horrible turnover, um, and Anthony DeClaire scored and the Bruins went down one, nothing that was early in the game. Um, once again, that game goes to overtime. So if, if you don't make that mistake, probably a regulation win for the Bruins, obviously who knows how the game plays out after that things get played differently, obviously. Um, but if Bertuzzi doesn't make that mistake, the Bruins don't put themselves in a hole early. Um, and I think that game doesn't go to overtime, probably a regulation win and the Bruins are on to the next round. Yeah. And one other ripple effect from that Elmar mistake. And we, we touched on it after game six and like, we never really got an answer, but you know, was that miscommunication? Like, did they blame Grizzly for part of that, for him not yelling out more or, or telling Elmar where to go with it? And, is that part of the reason he came out of the lineup for game six, which turned out to be a mistake because Forbert and Clifton really struggled together in game six. So yeah, just, just another ripple effect off of that. And it also, you guys kind of alluded to it as well, but the, a lot of the reason the, the momentum changed after that play is also because like, yes, tangibly they lost the game and now it's a three, two series lead and you're going back to Florida. But a lot of the narrative going to that series from the hockey world in general was other 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 Bruins going to choke, find a way to choke this series away. The, 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 the most points in league history in a season, most wins, all that stuff. And that play in particular, it's not like they just lost the game in overtime. Like they lost it in a way they shot themselves in the foot and that's, that's. And so it just, there was an aura about that play. It's like, okay, this team is going to find ways to lose now. And it was, it was a, they choked that game away. And now that narrative starts to build and pick up steam for the rest of the series. And that's another reason why the way that they lost that game was just pretty damning for them. And they couldn't recover, obviously. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports 
Center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.